everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. So where you at? Uh, I'm in the north of England, in Yorkshire. Uh, okay. Uh, in, a, in a place called Leeds, a city called Leeds. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm fairly familiar and, with it. And it's glorious by our standards. It's 20 degrees, which is hot for us. And it's it's pretty sunny. It's nice. Are you allowed to leave your house without uh, the, the, the bag man taking you away? We are, but I'm not. I I'm a, I have to isolate for 10 days. Uh, uh, we, we played at the weekend. Uh, we had an international fixture against Wales. And one of the players tested positive for COVID post-game. So now the mm. teams have had to go into 10 days of isolation. And mm. hiding. But you already played the game. Yeah, we, we played on uh, Saturday, Saturday afternoon. What's so weird is it's so deadly. You have to, you can play in a game and not even know you have it until you get tested. That's how deadly it well, is. Well, yeah. So we got tested Friday morning in camp. We got tested Saturday morning in camp, played, got tested Sunday morning, and we had a positive. So then everyone, had to, us and the Welsh team. Was it really a positive or was it just a false positive? I mean, did they, uh, did, it, do they retest them? Yeah, he got he had a lateral flow test that was positive, and then he had to go away for proper, like twenty four hour wait for the result test. So then we were all kind of hoping that was going to be a, a negative, and then when it came back positive, we got the the email from the team doctor that right, you're all shut down for ten days. So mm. everyone else can go out, I can't for ten days, and mm. and I don't even have it. I'm just hiding. Well, perfect timing for us to sit down with you. Fucking on the chop, line. chop it up. <laughs> Well, that, that we're was, doing this on the line. It's on the line. On I don't the think line. you say that. The well, this is your that was your first match against someone else since 2019, man. How did it feel to get out there? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, so yeah, the last game was against Australia in Sydney. So over on the other side of the world, we went over there for three weeks. First game in 20 months, and yeah, there was a few nerves, a lot of nerves post game. Uh, do you guys uh, do you guys talk shit to the Australians? Like, uh, you guys used to be English and then you were criminals when we got rid of you? Oh, yeah. But then they've won because they live in Australia. So we can say what we want to them. But then at the end of the day, they're living in Sydney on a beach and drink, like putting shrimp on the barbecues and having shrimp a nice on the life. While I'm in, yeah, well, I'm in the north of England where it rains all the time. <laughs> you guys, you guys get exiled to a really big island with a beach. With they a really, stuck. really nice beach. Yeah. That's a long con. <laughs> In their cons, get it? <laughs> I, I like. I, I remember the first time we traveled to Australia. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know the history of it, but I actually read up. Like, I had a huge, I had a long flight from, uh, I think it was Japan to Australia. So I read up on all this history, and I remember like visually thinking, like, we're putting you on a boat, and I, I forgot what like the boat. It was like a sixteen, uh, like four months, like sixteen weeks on a boat. They get to Australia. They don't know what they're going to encounter. Can you imagine like coming over and like seeing Australia and realizing now I have freedom? Like I was a fucking criminal. They put me on a boat. I survived, and now here I am. Uh, like must be like the the greatest feeling on the earth. Yeah. I also we had the opportunity to visit Perth. Went into the history about Australia, and then they made the least violent criminals the law enforcement there. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> And so Once it was Irish. Sentence, you stayed yeah. there. Yeah, and then it, so it was Irish priests, and then the least violent people to help create 
<laughs> society in Australia. So the Irish were the priests. The Irish were the priests, and also the purveyors of drinking. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. The cool thing about Perth, there was. Just, uh, I hopped around. I would international travel. Rule of thumb, we got to go to a pub. So dropped in on pubs, and there were true Irish folks there. So we got to learn about the history from them. Uh, that was Callie and I, and man, we had a fucking great time. Yeah, it's a- the rule of thumb is as soon as you land, you drop your bags off, and then you go straight to the pub. Yeah, That's, and there's no mess. It's bags off straight to the pub. Well, we've we've uh, we've searched for Irish pubs all around the world and Mexican restaurants and Mexican. <laughs> yeah, that's the it's true. We that's have tried to find some Mexican. Re- oh God, yeah, and some terrible Mexican restaurants are being like, dude, this is not Mexican food. I don't know what the fuck this is. This is like something Indian with a Mexican name. Well, that's like the, the north of England. We have a lot of Indian places, and yeah, it's co- all just is it kebabs? Nothing you get in India. Yeah, it's, it's, well, there's a lot of different dishes, but nothing that you get in India. They're all just made up names they've made up over here to kind of sell you and get you in. It's not like proper Indian food. You've got to go out and find the actual, the actual Indian places. So do you walk in and you're like, oh, there's an Indian person working here. I'm okay. Or you walk in like we do, where if there's like not a Mexican dude cooking, I get nervous. No. It doesn't matter if it's sushi, whatever it is. If, if I go into a restaurant and there's not a Mexican dude cooking, I'm like, I don't know if we're going to eat here. <laughs> Oh yeah, you've got to check out. You've got to see who's eating there as well. Yeah, that's that's. I'm like, who's eating here? Ah, yeah. So there's a couple of Indian guys. Yeah. So give us some background on your sport and what you do, and just kind of introduce yourself for people that don't know. Yeah, who you sure. Are. So yeah, my name's James Simpson. Obviously, uh, I play wheelchair rugby league, which is a variation of rugby league that is in a wheelchair. Uh, all the rules and the laws of the game for the running game of rugby league, as it's called, we transfer into the wheelchair game. So it's not a a different sport like you have wheelchair rugby the Paralympic version which is a, a totally different sport you can throw the ball forwards you you have quarters and things like that so wheelchair rugby league is a total replication of rugby league that I grew up watching that the Aussies play that all that so so yeah I, I uh, play for my local team Leeds Rhinos which is one of the biggest clubs in the country and I also play for England which is a, a huge honour to represent my country uh, yeah um been playing for seven, eight years now. Coming up to my ninth year will be next year. And I'll quickly go into this and you can get into me and tear it apart as much as you want. Uh, so I joined the army, British army, when I was 17. Uh, I was a soldier for seven years. And my second tour of Afghanistan, I tripped on an improvised explosive device, which detonated. And then I lost both my legs above the knee instantly. Mm. Uh, and going through my rehabilitation, that's how I found uh, wheelchair rugby league and a wheelchair sport. So I kind of shifted from been in the military for nearly 10 years to being spending 10 years as a nearly 10 years as a, a rugby league player as a wheelchair rugby league player is um, that's the short we, condensed version we had a guy on the podcast recently who was below the knee and yeah. uh he was talking about like the massive differences of below and above the knee in terms of like movement and walking and yeah it's we say knees are the keys so if you've got a knee that the difference you're basically just sticking a new foot on and you're off when if you're above knee you need to get a a replica knee, whether it's a like a computerized knee or like a hydraulic knee. When if you're missing a foot, you can kind of just stick one on the bottom and, and go for it. Hmm. So do you, it's do you obviously have any, a lot more complicated than that. But do you have uh, so. anything like a uh, super robotic, cool? Like I'm always. Uh, oh, mate. I, I uh, you know, over the years, I've run into guys, and we've you know taught a ton of seminars and you know Sornex and different events, and always run into these guys who have you know lost limbs, and uh, like uh, like. I'm just fascinated by the technology 
Like if, like if I could go back in time, that would, is what I would want to do. I'd want to be able to design an engineer and somehow figure out like human movement and then being able to like take these pieces out and add new ones, like absolutely blown away by what like carbon fiber and the different metals and titanium and how they do this and hydraulics. And it's dude, I, it, I mean, it's, um, it's so awesome. sad it's, that it's, it, it, it's sad that we have to do this, but I'm just so amazed by like the intelligence and the thinkers and how people are putting it together. So I'm just always fascinated by it. Yeah. The, the best, like, obviously the best legs out there are manufactured by Germans for the, like the German engineering and, Shocker. Uh, the ones, the ones, I, yeah, the ones I've got made by a company called Autobock, and they're absolutely top of the line. Microprocessor knees, uh, gyroscopes in the knees. So no matter how hard you kick out your prosthetic, it will always land in the same place. Fifty times a second, the foot's telling the knee where you are, so then the knee will adjust its hydraulics to how you're walking, so you don't fall over. These things are absolutely from, like top of the range, almost RoboCop style of computerization, uh, and it is like you were saying that it's because of like war and and things that they've had to find these ways of getting new prostate limbs and they're absolutely like mind-blowing the kit and equipment they've got now even as long as i've been an amputee for 10 years the prostate legs have just skyrocketed the the, the you, know, you can the ones i've got now i can go in water in them up to two meters i'm never going to do that but i can do it if i want like walk through water up to my waist and, and they're not going to fall apart it's it's insane and they piggyback a lot of like their research departments piggyback other people. So if a company makes like a really, a really good battery that they can steal, they'll nick it and put it into their prosthetic legs. They'll just yeah. piggyback on other people's technology as well. Yeah, they don't have anything proprietary. Everything's open source, and they allow people to design and push. And it's um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, for me oh, like, I'd like yeah, oh, fuck. and and you know what? And they should be expensive, and they should be free. Like uh, my whole thing has been like, if you're going to send people to war. When they come home, uh, you have a responsibility to take care of them, fix them, and let them lead the best life they can. I mean, that's the yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the exchange you make with your people. You send them over to some far off land to fight some, you know, some war. Like, take care of your people. So, like, believe me, if uh, if I got to earmark my tax dollars, that's where <laughs> I'd want my tax dollars to go. I'd be like, uh, take a hundred percent of my tax dollars and put them into designing bitch and prosthetics so that. Dudes that get blown up can fucking sprint and run a marathon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got like six pairs of legs as well. Like I'm, uh, I've got. My You're like, I'm gonna put on my dancing legs today. Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've got these. I've got these like hundred and fifty thousand pound microprocessing prosthetic knees, and I've got about a three grand tiny little thing that's about that tall, uh, that high that I just put on the end of my my legs, so I'm like four foot tall. It costs absolutely nothing, but when I'm just pottering around the house or I'm like doing something again i'll just whack them on and they take five seconds to put on so i've got the absolute like cheapest things and then the really expensive things and i chop and change all the time what i'm using oh, just find the toolkit the tool that's good for what i need and i'll, I'll use it and i'll stick it on how, do, how did you get into the uh like the wheelchair rugby like i mean it was it something you came yeah, back yeah. and you were just searching for something to like well i started some... yeah i started doing i started doing track so i was running on on like running blades and i just like how growing cool up playing how fucking it cool is, are those? but stopping is is nails. Like you can't just stop. You've got to like slow down or run into something to stop because they're, they're so springing, there's so much force in them. Yeah, there's uh, got to, uh, they yeah. store they store kinetic energy, and as they move, they continue to gain more and more and more. Whereas like a sprinter yeah. will have like a curve. These are like this, and so these dudes just keep rolling. And so to watch them slow down is pretty. You can see how much they bend when people yeah. put the force into them. The the whole it's almost like the. You think it's going to snap, 
because of the amount of force you put into it and it just propels you out again. Yeah, so I started I started running and doing track and I just got bored of it. I missed that like like growing up I used to play rugby. When I was in the army I played a little bit, so I missed having people around me and that kind of like team that team atmosphere. And I was in I was at the Paralympics in twenty twelve as a volunteer, just kinda like, you know, like guiding people where they need to sit and things like that. And and I was watching some of the sports there at the time and I was like, I need to get into a team sport. I was watching these players go out and like go out on the, the pitch and tear it apart. And I was like, yeah, I need to get into this. So I just started researching and looking for like wheelchair sports clubs and found one five miles away. And then I was down there straight away and I joined up. Are they, um, uh, you guys obviously play on grass? Uh, no, we play inside on a, but it's because it's like. Is it turf or is it like so, a hard court? No, no, it's, it's a hard court, but because it's rugby league, we still call it a pitch. Mm. So even though it's inside, uh, all the markings are the same as they would be if we were on a grass field. So it's still called a pitch. Some people even call it field as well. Like, yeah, we're going to take to the field. But I was imagining inside. you guys. I was imagining you guys on grass, and then I'm thinking my head. Like, if it rained. Well, no, but I was thinking about like, what do the wheels look like? Like they got to have off-road tires. I was like, man, that would be kind of cool too. Then you guys are slipping and sliding, but no, that makes more sense. Like I, I just watched. I would love uh, to play outside if I could. Uh, two nights ago, uh, they they had the um, uh, Paralympics for the hockey, so those dudes oh, are on yeah, those yeah. like on those like sitting on those blades. Oh my god, that was the coolest thing I've seen. Like, the, and the best part is they were just launching themselves at each other. I'm like, this is great. Just like yes, suicide missiles. That's what we're like. <laughs> Well, yeah, like you've got you're, you're in your so we call it where rugby, rugby league players first. So we might be in wheelchairs, we might be playing inside, but we don't shy away from contact and we don't shy away from smashing into each other and getting each other's faces. We still want to play contact sports and we still want to get that 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 like energy you get from playing rugby league because a lot of us used to play it anyway. I used to play it as a kid, so playing it now in a wheelchair, you still have that like I'm going to fucking smash you and I'm going to get in your face, and if I can, I'm going to flip you out your wheelchair and like it's it's just. It, all goes with the sport and it's the same as the sled hockey guys that like first and foremost the hockey players so they're going to smash into you and they're going to get in your face and, and try and kind of cause a bit of aggro and that's that's what is one of the greatest things about it it still has that from like the running game of it or from the like the the able-bodied uh like sled hockey uh, able-bodied hockey still has that like yeah we want to get into each other and we still want to get that like that, that fierceness and that competitiveness out of it um, are you guys wearing, um, uh, like, are there belts to strap you into the chairs? So if you get flipped, you don't come flying out? Yeah, pretty much. I've got, like, considering I've only got half a leg, I've got three different straps over me to keep me in. And then it, it helps you control the chair better as well. Because these chairs are, like, so mine's 5,000 pounds. I don't know what that is, like, in, in, in dollars, but it's it's pretty expensive. You could probably buy a car for that. And it's been absolutely tailored to my weight, my body shape, my body type. And... I'm so fastened into it that I can move the whole chair just by using my hips. So I've got my hands free to, to move the ball and things. So yeah, you, you fasten into it so much that the chair becomes like a, another part of you. So you can move around in it without having to worry about even pushing the wheels. So, uh, so if you have the ball, I mean, uh, how does it move? I mean, do you have to actually use your hands to hit the wheels or? Yeah. So you, you want to, we always say two pushes. So you want to generate enough power and enough force. with two really good pushes that then, you don't have to push again. You want to get two really hard pushes that you could, in theory, continuously move uh, up and down the pitch by using your hips to, to keep compensating. So it's those first two pushes are the things you really need to work on and you really need to get enough power in that that once you've pushed, 
you can do whatever you want. You can go around people, you can hit gaps, you can get the ball, you can pass the ball on, all have to do in those those first two big pushes. If you get a line break, yeah, you'll get the ball in your lap and you'll get your arms down, you'll sprint like hell, but you want to deal deal with that, those first two pushes first. Is, uh, is the ball regulation size? Yeah, so it's a normal rugby league ball, but a size smaller. Okay. Um, just because you get people with like hand impairments and when you're inside, mm. the ball gets quite can get quite clammy as well. Like we played in France in 2019, south of France, and it was absolutely hot as balls and everyone was just dripping in sweat. So because the, like because we were playing in France, uh, they didn't put the air conditioning on or anything, so we'd be at a disadvantage. So they were okay and we we're all absolutely drenched in sweat. And Don't worry, we hate the French Like, too. Yeah, we don't like the French either. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, so playing over there, so that's another one of the reasons the ball's a little bit smaller, but it's still a like an absolute like a normal rugby league ball. It's not like a round ball or anything like that, and and you can only pass the ball backwards like in like a normal rugby league. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, do you, do you guys the, do you do you guys have like a scrum to start out? Is it like uh... that's pretty much the only thing uh, missing is scrums because you just wouldn't be able to do it in wheelchairs. So everything else is the same. So. If you put a tackle on someone or if someone like knocks the ball on and drops it, you'll just, instead of having a scrum, you'll just turn the ball over. So mm-hmm. the, the, other t- the other team will get it. Oh, excuse me. I've drunk about three litres of water today. That's because I'm sat at home doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's it's the, the only thing's missing are scrums. We still have kicks. So um, a kick is basically you hit the ball with a closed fist. So if you want to kick the, the ball upfield, you'll just hit it. And then the rest of your team need to be behind you. So they're on side, like in, like in normal rugby as well. So everything you can think of we've taken over and we've just incorporated into into wheelchair man i was kind of imagining the scrum like like dude <laughs> linking arms and just smashing together like some like you know but no that actually makes sense i'm like no nah, it's it'd be good to try like if you could do it in a way i know people have tried it to try to see if we can bring it in and the way they did it was they had three players uh one behind each other and then another three players in front of them and then the ball would be to the side and then they had basically it was a reverse tug of war. So the three players would be at each other like that with the ball there, and they'd have to push each other like that to see where the ball went. And then when the ball got to the back, you, they could play it. So it has been tried, but it it just didn't work. <laughs> We've tried it, but it didn't work. Oh shit, man! That's uh, did, I mean, um, I mean, like you said, you have, obviously have these really bitching uh, wheelchairs that are all carbon fiber and. You know, they probably, you know, yeah. space alloys and they're super fast. I mean, they're probably balanced. Like you said, two pushes and the thing probably picks up speed. Um, I mean, are they as durable or is it something where like, hey, you know, like they'll break and you have to go out and switch out or are they like pretty much indestructible? Like you can smash they're pretty them much, day day. Yeah, they're pretty much indestructible. They're um, like, like you said, like carbon fiber and aluminum um, all welded together. So it's one like unit. The only thing that can go wrong really is your tires. You can get smashed, so someone can hit you and your, your tire can pop or something like that. Uh, but then you've got spares on the side, so if you get hit and you go over and you, your tire explodes or your wheel breaks, you, the mechanic will just run on with another one, and then it'll be you'll be off. So they'll literally run on ten seconds, take your other one off, wheel it off, fresh one on, flip you over, and you're, you're off to go. So we have running repairs on the sideline, like F1, dude. Pretty much, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, the mechanic, you're like mechanic, pretty much comes yeah. running out. Oh, you have team man. mechanics, you've got like pumps by the side, you've got toolkits, you've got spare wheels, spare tires. And then, yeah, people just come on quickly and sort it out. And then the game won't even stop. If, if you're attacking and the, 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 the play's moved away from you and you're in back play, they'll just carry up. Someone will come on and sort you out and then you'll be off again back into the, back into the battle. Damn. Uh, what? 
So, uh, dude, this is but super educational. I mean, yeah. it, it's super educational. The the thing that um, as you're talking, I keep thinking about like the training, like uh, like how you train for this. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously you use. You know, we're going through your Instagram earlier. Um, you, can, <laughs> you know, standard you know strength conditioning template, like we saw yeah. you floor pressing. You know, banging weights, doing that, and then uh, you know a ton of just looks like conditioning and actual sport training. So, is that pretty accurate for? for your training or is there something special you do or, you know, how do you yeah, prepare much. for this? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So I'm, I'm like a bit of a plug. So I've been following grindstone for years. Um, As that, you should. That's, yeah. That suits me a lot because, and, and you'll know John being like an ex professional, like if I'm playing on a Sunday, uh, training in my chair, Tuesdays and Thursdays, then playing on a Saturday, the, the something's got to give. So something like grindstone, I'm like, right, I've got my, 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 my day where I'm lifting and I've got loads of volume and then I'll be like right the other day I'll jump on like med ball slams and med ball rotations to get the plyometrics and things so I, I build around what I'm doing in the chair um, so then I'll have one really heavy strength conditioning day and then if I don't have any more days I'll do something low key but just med balls or with a bit of conditioning on because if I do too much I just you just burn out because you, if you're pushing for 80 minutes in a wheelchair and then you hit in the gym doing upper body again you just end up burning out or you, your shoulders get destroyed and knackered. So yeah, it's pretty much a follow um, like like grindstone and it's done me, I've been through it for doing it for years and it's that's probably the thing that's suited me the best. But floor pressing is something I, I switched to years ago from benching because my shoulders were getting so just beat up for pushing the chair so much that it, it saves my shoulders when I'm kind of getting all the way down. And I feel like for pushing your chair, um, from floor pressing, you're getting more of that like that load on your on your triceps and in the back of your arms. That it come when you're pushing that that chair, you can generate that force a lot a lot sharper without when you're benching without getting that cheap bounce or anything in there. If that yeah, makes well, a bit of sense. Yeah, it's taking out the stretch short, or stretch shortening yeah. cycle for the bottom, so you bring it down, let the elbows kiss, kind of pause, and then drive up. Which uh, dude was really helpful for me, especially playing offensive line where everything was this way opposed like I never loaded here to come back so it was always from yeah. a kind of a cock position forward which seems very similar to what you guys are doing and, and, I, and I've been I constantly tell the other guys in the team I'm like you need to be floor pressing man sack that off get floor pressing no 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 floor pressing get floor pressing it's, it's the it's my like my thing that I bang on about a lot to all the other players is you need to be on the floor pushing that bar not not doing it from a bench position what uh, um is there like a conditioning component I mean how like uh uh, like is is there a way I mean not not necessarily cross training but I keep thinking like if all your conditioning is in the chair which it needs to be for your sport yeah and that, that beats you up is there another way for you to build that capacity outside of the chair yeah I so there's a few trains of thought in this and I'm and I've got a bit of more of a like a power athlete kind of uh, look at it is where I I think when you're in a chair uh, you maximize the things you need to maximize in your chair so it'll be like I, I'll run like L drills. So I've looked at a lot of other sports like running game sports or other, other wheelchair sport and stolen things. So like running the L drills and things are brilliant for being in wheelchairs because you're having to do that really sharp turn at, at, at pace and, and then get back or doing like the, uh, the five ten five drills. But I've reduced it to four eight four because they're the distances we use. So having to turn in that chair and then go at pace and then, and then stop again. So I've kind of nicked them from other sports to do, and we do them at, in my club. But then I, I think when you're not in your chair, that's when I'll, I'll like do the ski erg. So I'm massive on the ski erg. I'll hit the ski erg and do a lot of sprints, or I'll do like 
uh, like the the cat off of calories and things like that. But I'm less about oh yeah, some some guys are very just getting a wheelchair and push for 10k, and I'm like that's not useful at all. You just like you're gonna you, there's no intensity. You're gonna slow right down. You're gonna get bored. You're not gonna you're not doing the right things. You need to be high intensity and pushing yourself. So I'm almost in the chair, short and sharp, like sprints, things like that. But then away from the chair is where I'll do like 300 calories on the ski erg or, you know, I'll do like the, the distances and things. So I try and build the capacity more off the pitch. And then when I'm in the chair, I'll just focus on very chair specific things. Well, I was thinking because of the way the chair is designed, uh, you know, as you generate force into the, um, into the wheel, uh, it coasts. So there's no yeah. like eccentric load in it. Like you're pushing and then, you know, as it spins, you're kind of like, it's almost like pushing a prowler if that, that's kind of a terrible fucking analogy. A few years ago, but, we tried out doing the bleep test, and we had to, we tried it once. And guy, like the, the actual bleep test, you would run, yeah, and yeah, guys yeah. finished it in wheelchairs because the wheelchairs were so good. They were just pushing and coasting all the way around, so yeah. they finished the bleep test, got to like level twenty or twenty-one, and weren't even breaking a sweat because the chairs just glided all the way around. Yeah, because they're so efficient and they're designed yeah. so well that, like you know, uh, uh, probably you know German engineering with Swiss bearings, right? And uh, they're pushing, and like you know, as it kind of coasts, it's almost like um, God. I can't even think what the analogy is, but uh, like that's where I was thinking. I'm like, man, if if all the training was in the chair, you'd be leaving so much on the table. And that's so smart that you're mm-hmm. like a skier and finding other ways that actually have some form of eccentric load and some way to actually you know move the dampener. So now, you know, it'd be like uh, if there was a brake on the on the wheelchair, almost like setting the brake at half and then pushing against it so that yeah. you could create you know some form of friction. Some guys do things like put weights or sandbags on their wheelchairs to make them heavier to push. But then I, I, I'm against that because you're then losing the... If you're in your chair, you need to maximize what the chair is and what the chair gives you. So if you're putting weights on it, you're then losing that ability to move with your hips and, and you're almost losing your in-tunement in, in with the chair. Did you, did you figure this out on your own or did somebody tell you this? It was mostly me just trying things over years, fiddling about and trying to nick things from other sports and things like that. God damn it, you're smart. Um, You have to be a (laughs) power athlete. And I'm just telling you why. Like one of the worst things that you can do, and they've done a ton of research and studies, and I mean, we saw videos of people trying to wear ankle weights and wrist weights uh, with the idea that they could sprint and that this would create more load. The only thing it did is it just destroyed their movement pattern. And then actually made them slower because it was inefficient. You had to change your mechanics to, to compensate so it actually hurt them, and they figured out that this was a terrible modality. Oh, yeah. I mean, same yeah. with golf and baseball. Yeah. yeah, like the minute, you know, like the guy swinging. The donuts. Yeah. So, like, they found that, like, there's different ways, like uh, sprinting uphill, finding different ways to create some form of, like, mechanical disadvantage outside, uh, but always protecting your mechanics. So that's really smart. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're like, you, hey, you need this to is be, my mechanics. Yeah, you need to be so in tune with that chair that as soon as you start putting weights on it. And some people argue if you're pushing the chair and it's hard, as soon as you take the weight off, you can push it better. But then my counter argument is, but you don't know when the chair is going to want to move and react because you haven't, you're not, it's so important to move that chair without your arms that you, you won't fully understand how to move the chair. If you've loaded loads of weight on it and then taking it off, you'll, you'll be expecting to move when the chair is going to move, but it'll move quicker and you'll fall over because there's no weight stopping you from falling over anymore. There was uh, years ago, um, this idiot showed up uh, with this technology where he wanted us to basically put a strap around us and then they wanted to uh, put bands on our wrists so that when we punched, uh, it was like band resisted and they thought that it can improve punch. 
And I was like, ah, it can, but if you use compensatory acceleration with weights, it actually works better. And this just feels like a really just hacky, cheap, shitty workaround. Oh, and, and they continued to do that. There was a battle I went against virtually, and somebody strapped up one of the LFL quarterbacks. So it was like a weight belt yeah. that then straps to the wrists yeah. and then straps down to the ankles and resisted her every movement, and she was pumping it, and I'm like, this slow is, down, girl. Yeah, no, I mean, but it's... <laughs> it's uh, I think people think like, um, like they they confuse this thing with sports specific and like you know GPP SPP. They don't realize that like there's two separate training deals. Like we do, and anything but done within the confines of a gym, within the the four walls of your training facility, is that general physical preparedness. The minute that you step out and you start training for your sport, it's that specific physical preparedness. Now you can have like a blending of the two, which Tex loves, which we call general specific preparedness the gsp the gsp which uh i came up with i think at least it wasn't my initial talk uh that idea of like taking specific time domains and mixing them with general movements but always protecting you know what you do on the pitch within the confines of your sport like protecting that and like training for that the problem is is that these people are constantly trying to seep in almost as like a wizardry like oh i can make you better on the field by giving you something that kind of looks like it might help like speed ladders for example yeah i I, like like every one of those like if you were watching the youtube videos of those dudes that are like speed ladder masters nobody's ever heard of those dudes i'm like show me one of these guys ever gets to go play in the nfl (laughs) well it all those those dudes are also like five six so they wouldn't make it to the nfl well there's five foot six dudes darren sproles true you're right but they they were d1 footballers this dude's just a YouTube highlight reel. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But like, I, um, I was very when, when I started training, I was very just do everything. Uh, and initially, I just started like cause I started doing uh, CrossFit football first. So initially, I was just doing CrossFit and training a CrossFit gym. Well, I still train there now, but I'm kind of left to my own devices. Uh, and it, I slowly started realizing the things I was doing weren't benefiting me in the sport. So that's how I kind of went onto CrossFit football. And then I was on that for a while, and then like transitioned into grindstone from there. So I, that was like, it wasn't until I really started on things like grindstone. And that's where I got um, like med ball slams and things and med ball rotations. It's not something I'd ever thought of before, which I then graduated into into doing. And, and that for me was a huge game changer because I'm, and I'm saying to all the other players, if you throw in med balls, like that turning and smashing that med ball against the wall, when you're in your wheelchair and you're going straight and you need to turn left because you've been moving with that med ball, you learn how to use your, your like your trunk to move that chair, and the med balls and things have been an absolute game changer for for me as a wheelchair athlete. And it's something I pass on to other other players as well. I'm like, you need to be throwing med balls, you need to be throwing them sideways, you need to be throwing them forwards, you need to be slamming them, you need to be doing it over the head and slamming to one side. You need to do anything you can with them to get that that trunk ready to move and ready to react to you in the chair. Well, to to quote James Simpson once, if you're not launching med balls at things, are you even <laughs> training, bruh? Who said this? James Simpson me. on Instagram. Oh. oh God! Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, oh, there, there you are. Oh, he pulled it up. If you're not launching med balls at things, are you even training, bro? No, it, I mean he he's not wrong. Uh, the fascinating thing, and um, so I think when people think about like this, you know, and they call it core training, it's so that you can have abs. The problem is, is that's a fucking stupid idea. What we're really focusing on is trunk strength and that like stability within that trunk. And the idea is that I'm going to create this stable kind of conduit for the upper and the lower body. Well, you guys are constantly stuck, you know, you know, well, not you because of all the vision technology you have, 
But within your sport, a lot of guys are stuck in this chair, so their legs are not necessarily moving. So now they're having to try to stabilize something that's you know, ground-based within the chair. So it actually makes a ton of sense for you to do all this transverse playing and all these med balls just to keep all this stuff activated and firing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of those things that I never even thought of for years. When I stumbled across it, when I, when I got programmed it, I, I, that's the one thing I try and make time for now. I always try and make time to just get some med ball working. The well, I'm I'm glad you found cross football because also on your Instagram you got this photo of you when you were in God. serving, and that's probably the skinniest person I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and well, he looks hungry. Back in the day, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and your mustache. What's so weird is that rifle's a 22. It's so small. Uh, um, it makes him. It looks so big in his hands. Tw- it, let's see, 2007, and you don't even have a mustache. Everything about yeah, this picture screams weakness. <laughs> Back in those days, though, like uh, it's changed a lot now in the military. And I've listened to some of your podcasts where you guys have talked about it as well. But when I was in, it was you run. So you're running 50 kilometers a week, 10K, uh, 12K, and, and you're running and you're running, which has absolutely no bearing on when you're deployed and you're carrying 40 kilograms worth of weight and you're needing to move really short and sharp across really uneven terrain, sometimes plowed fields, sometimes rocks. So back in those days, it was just you ran. That's what you did. And now all the guys I know who are still in them, like all my mates, the fitness has changed so much now that now it's all deadlifting, squatting. Nobody runs more than two miles and you run fast and you sprint. And the, back when I was in, it was just that you ran and you did some body weight exercises when now the guys who are serving, it's like fitness has totally changed in the military. They're making you more ready for, for, the, for what you're actually going to have to endure in a battle, not just running around camp with your trainers. And I, think, I've heard, well, I think the definition of fitness has changed. Um, I think there was this idea that like when people think of fit, they think of like the triathlete or they think about somebody who can run a marathon. And that was kind of the, the paradigm. And we've seen this huge paradigm shift to wow, now fitness is very personal. Like what does my fitness allow me to do and opposed from like this like imaginary mark? Because I, I mean, it's funny. I talked to my wife about this. She's like 20 years ago, uh, a fit person was somebody that rode the marathon. You know, now you yeah. see somebody who looks like they, you know, who runs marathons and you're like, they just look emaciated and hungry. Now you see people that are pretty fit and, uh, you know, my wife's in really good shape and she's super fit and people stop her everywhere she goes and want to talk to her about her diet and her training and what she does to the point where she's like, I got these three kids. I'm at like Whole Foods and these women are asking me for <laughs> diet advice and, uh, it oh, just I, comes, yeah. you know, and, and their, their whole thing. And it's funny when she, when they ask her what she does, she's like, I lift weights, heavy weights every day. And they're like, no, no, you can't. Like, like they want to still fight this paradigm because they can't believe it. But it's it's yeah. changing, you know. And the definition in the military, I think they realized that, uh, you know, their paradigm was broken, and now they just need big, strong dudes that can more people that can. Fucking... I wish I'd have found it back in. So when I was at the height of my military career, when I was like twenty twenty three, I wish I'd have found something like CrossFit football, and and because I think it'd been such a game changer when you're lugging all that weight around. And then you wonder why your back's absolutely fried and you, you're falling apart. And you're like, yeah, because I'm not doing any deadlifting, no squatting, nothing. I'm not doing anything apart from running. And then like that picture there, I end up looking like a string bean because you can't eat enough for the calories you're burning out. And it's, you just, it's, it's, you're almost like doing yourself a massive disservice because you're not as good as you could be physically because of the training. And I didn't know anything at that age of training. I thought that's what you did. I didn't have a clue about any of that stuff. I was never taught about squatting deadlifting or anything i thought back then it was something that the meatheads did 
I, I just wanted to run. Now I look back and I'm like, I wish. And I talked to guys I used to serve with who, who aren't in and we're all like, I wish we knew about that when we were that age, how much better we could have been and how much more we could have achieved just by being stronger and bigger, not just like racing snakes. So what... um. I keep thinking like how how do you train like uh even though you know you're you're erased below the knee how do we yeah. train from like this up in the glutes and the hips and like the adductors and like like how does the you know because i'm sitting here thinking in my head being like what adjustments could i make to grindstone to maximize his <laughs> working so like uh like how are you training those and are you addressing so, them and how does that fit if this thing yeah so i like if there's if i've got extra time in a week and say my game's differently or trains off and I'll do like the optional strength day on a, on grindstone or the conditioning day. If one of them's like deadlifting, I'll do it seated. So I'll just, I'll like, I adapt things to, to fit what I need. So if it's like do X amount of deadlifts, I say if it's like uh, work up to three heavy, I will kind of change that to just lower reps, uh, more reps, but then I'll do it seated um, just to kind of get my, like my glutes and stuff firing up and, uh, that's that's been a bit of a changer for me, but I'll just I'll tailor tailor it a little bit. Hey Tex, um, we should film uh, the manual resistance stuff for like the hip, the adductor, and the glute, like laying down, and, okay. then, and then we could get a partner to do that where we could do manual resistance, and so that he could do glute, hip, adductor, and kind of train those three. And this do you, would be. Do you have a training partner? Uh, it varies. When I'm in the gym, not really. But I can always grab someone. There's a couple yeah, but, of people around. But this this would be great for a team. And then where, where I like manual resistance stuff for team training, like you guys, it accelerates camaraderie because you well, got to get with each other. Like so you got to get hands on. So what he could do? <laughs> We're not allowed um, to get hands on at the moment. It's if, all uh, if, keep if away from each other. If we could film, uh, like like there's three things that we could film that he could prep every lower body day and okay. then go and do his poles and some of the other things. Like I'm just thinking like there's also a pretty interesting one that he could do with bands. Um, so I'm just thinking like there's like three or four movements. So let's, do like, it. let's film those and we'll send those, man. Like so I got some we, – we got some pretty jiggy stuff that yeah. uh, as we were talking about this. Yeah, like some of the pull-throughs, but also some of like the manual resistance, uh, abductor, adductor, and then also being able to um, you know lay down and do some manual resistance on the backside so that we can work on – and, firing the glute and um, my vision is also going to pillar work so different dead bug variations different side pillars and things so we incorporate multiple planes of motion into your trunk work to complement the med ball so side pillars with the reach underneath yeah stability <laughs> to complement your explosivity with the ball and then the, the bring other, these to your team yeah the other one i was thinking <clears throat> if he was in a side pillar and he had a uh, like a foam roller underneath his hip in the side pillar, we could do we could do starfish, uh -huh. and there's like a whole bunch of different movements if he was here and to be able to reach this way. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, like my head's exploding. You of all the different. You know. I mean. I'm it, glad. I'm glad that it's giving you some of the good mental challenges as well. Well, you I know, mean, it's, it's opening new doors. Well, it, I mean, um, if anybody's like if anybody's following one of our programs, whether it be Grindstone, who has special considerations and need some special stuff like hit us up please email me because uh that is by far the coolest thing we do when i get to yeah, look yeah. and say how can i adapt this program from somebody that can't do it as written like you're in a uh you know a high level athlete who's using the training program in a unique way to me that's by far way more exciting for us to geek out on 
than me answering like <laughs> the standard question and watching a video on and like you know foot position bar position and all this other yeah. stuff well, on know? that note that's the strength of the the methodology yep. because it's still within primal movements planes of motion and towards peak performance to accomplish task yeah well i mean there's Boom. still i mean uh, the power athlete methodology is built on this idea of uh, athletic blueprint you know planes of motion the whole deal but it, you're still moving within those planes of motion. We're just adding some, some turbo wheels instead of having some, you know, some sticks to run on. So it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. And I love the thought of uh, everything being transverse. Like here you are pushing this way. And then as you have to move, everything becomes like a, this transverse plane. But you're not necessarily taking steps. So you're using your upper body to actually torque it. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Like, uh, like Oh, when yeah. I, it's- yeah. No, it's yeah, it's uh, it's something that took me a while to figure out. Like I said, I was going to the gym and doing normal stuff, and it was normal stuff. But yeah, uh, it was getting into like cross football and stuff, and then just getting all those different ideas. Like, if I'm away, like if I go on a holiday or something, I take a kettlebell with me. I won't do anything. I'll do. I mean, I'll do everything unilaterally because I know how important that trunk is. So everything I do, if I'm on holiday and I'm doing some training, I, I, and I've only got one thing, it'll be constantly be unilateral, just to keep smashing that trunk as well. And keep those different planes of motion. Well, I also got got to compliment you. You don't wear fingerless racing gloves. I would be talking so much shit to the other guys that are all gloved <laughs> up. Man, you're just going, dude. You wear those things constantly in the gym. Those those are my drinking gloves. Uh, I just wear the one because you don't want your hand to get cold because you nurse. It's like a koozie for my hand. <laughs> but dude, you're rocking it, and dude, that's that's it's fucking awesome. You can't wear. Yeah, you, you can't, can't wear, wear anything. Well, I see some guys in these no, videos. But, I mean, he was talking about the heat and the ball getting soggy and all that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, that becomes you need a to be very, You need to be very, like, uh, minimal minimal stuff on you. Like, I know guys who wear knee pads and elbow pads and things. I'm just like, you need to get rid of all that and just be as, just you in the, as much as it's just you in the chair. Like, I know it's, like, elbow pads for me. They've just been like, no, it's going to, it's something's going to go wrong with it. It's something else will slide down or it'll get too tight or it'll restrict. I think you've just got to get rid of all that and just go like, I'm going to get hit. I'm going to fall over. I'm going to smash my elbows. I've just got to just roll with it. Like, don't carry on with any of that nonsense. Just do, you, do you do any dedicated grip training? Like, is there any dedicated uh, grip training? Yeah, I've got the, uh, I always forget what they're called. I, from my climbing days, do you know the old wrist balls where you mm. pull the string and the yeah. ball goes? So I'll just sit with uh, that and watch TV. Gyro balls, like a gyro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can only do them one-handed though, because my, my left hand smashed to pieces. So uh, I just do it one-handed. So I've got one 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 really jacked forearm and one really skinny forearm. Did uh, no, did your left arm get uh, get damaged in the blast? Uh, yeah, I, I lost um, my like uh, two fingers. So I lost my little finger and my ring finger, and uh, my wrist is fused. So it's fused in like like in one kind of in one in one motion, one plane. Mm-hmm. So uh, so then if you start doing a gyro ball, it just stops straight away. So mm-hmm. I just do it one-handed now. Can you do pull-ups? Yeah, yeah, I've got a like a, a little hook, uh, like a hook that I've. It's one of those things about like me adapting things again. I found this. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where I found it years ago. So I bought like six of them, and I keep them upstairs in case one of them breaks. And I just get another one down, and it's just like a thing that will go around my wrist a bit, like like a Velcro strap with a like a double hook on it. So you just loop that over the top of a bar. Same with like any rows or anything like that. You just I just put this hook on, and then then you're off. Yeah, when when uh, I owned a gym, CrossFit Balboa, I had a, a client who was born without a hand, 
and she was such a savage. Like uh, every time I'd see her train, she'd be in there. She'd do push-ups on like I mean, she called it her nub, so she'd be doing push-ups. Yeah, she yeah. Could actually, she could actually stand and get the bar underneath it and do push jerks, and then she would wear this uh, kind of hook apparatus, and uh, she like easily had like twenty-five dead hang pull-ups. She was tougher than fucking nails. And uh, I remembered like asking her one time, I'm like, what's the deal? And she's like, well, I was never born with a hand. So as a little kid, you know, to climb trees and do all this stuff, like I just had to figure it out and I don't have any nerve endings. So it just, it, it, it was never there. So I never noticed it being missing. And uh, I remember being It's like, all about, yeah, it's all about you adapting to the environment, not the environment adapting to you. So if, if you constantly try and have the environment adapted for you, when you get put in a situation where it isn't adapted, you're not going to know what to do. So you need to find ways to, for you to adapt to the environment. Like, I'm not saying that you need to be like dragging yourself around and not use a wheelchair, but you need to find those, those battles and things that you can, you can adapt to them. And so then if something goes wrong, you're not going to be panicking and stuck. Is this a universal mindset for your teammates or do you find guys that are new to this style of sport that then need some encouragement and leadership from guys that have been around 10 years like yourself? At the international level, it's, that's pretty much the same kind of mentality because we've got guys there like myself who are injured soldiers. We've got guys from motorbike accidents, guys who caught really random, obscure diseases that have paralyzed them, guys who are in like other other accidents and things. So the mentality when we, when we get into international camps is very much like we make do, we, we adapt and, and we, we, like, we get on with it. Uh, but then at domestic level, when I'm back at my club, that's where you've got to weigh up the the athletes who've been doing it for a while who are really competitive and, and want to win trophies and then at the same time you've got the athletes of, and the players coming in the, the door who you want to get into the sport and you want to to get to that level where they're going to compete so you've got to tailor how you do things depending on what athlete you're speaking to so when we have our like team training days we'll have the first team players who you can you can like run them into the ground basically and they'll keep coming back for more and then we'll have like a development um set up as well where the new players will start slower and get used to the sport and get used to it and the last thing you want to do is throw those kind of new newly disabled players or, or players who have who are just starting to get into a sport in with the seasoned athletes because they're just going to get smashed to pieces and, and walk out the door or roll out the door so you, you do have to tailor it depending on on who you've got at club but then internationally it's just a it's a free-for-all is um so you've been um injured for 10 years like uh, uh, the injury 2009, was about... so 12 years, 12 years. I can't, it's been so long ago now, I can't even remember. Yeah, 2009. So 12 uh, years. Yes. Was there yeah. like, um, I mean, man, like I'm, I'm just thinking like the progression. Like there's probably like a, uh, you know, this happens and then there's like an acceptance and maybe like a bit of depression and like, you know, like, you know, what's my, you know, like what, what's my place in this world kind of like yeah. transition you go through and then you find something like you're doing now and it gives you purpose and there's like, camaraderie because you're you know you're training with other people that have a similar uh disability and are in a similar situation and the best part is is everybody's out there going hard and nobody fucking cares you know yeah like you fall down nobody's coming over to pity you or nothing it's like fucking get up and everybody is kind of on equal playing ground and treating you guys like athletes and you know all of a sudden now you're training and you have purpose and you're traveling in this and as i'm thinking like you know because we had justin lysick on the podcast and he's in this like, well, I don't want to do any of this stuff. And he's kind of in this like two year transition. 
And I'm thinking like, here you are 12 years later and you're like, I'm going to go have a fucking mash people. You know, this is yeah, what exactly, I have. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like an even playing ground. And I wonder if there's like just this like mental transition of like acceptance. Now I'm going to fucking flourish in this environment. And, um, you know, and I think the hard part too is for people that, uh, you know, and this is for anybody. And we saw this really with COVID. People need community. They need camaraderie. They need competition. They need sport. They need to talk shit and have fun and like, you know, fucking battle and yell and scream and cry and win and lose and do all these things to feel human. And uh, I sometimes wonder when people isolate, if all of a sudden that becomes the source of their depression. You know, you're out there training and you're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're out there just fucking trying to, you know, run the next dude down and be like, this dude ain't going to beat me. And that doesn't matter, you know, if you're, you know, on two wheels, on two legs or, you know, I mean, you're farther ahead than, you know, the fucking fat ass sitting on the couch just bitching at everybody else, you know, like looking at the Olympics and being like, oh, those people suck. You know? that's one of the reasons I, I stopped track for some reason I was like oh, I really want to run I want to run that's and, and then I did that for a little bit I was like I'm just getting no satisfaction out of this none whatsoever so that's when I started looking for the team sports and I think the, the track thing came from and I don't mind talking about like my injuries or anything at all you know when it happened it was 12 years ago now I've, I've like got a whole new life since then but I think when I was going through my rehabilitation yeah, I had all these had physiotherapy, I had prosthetics, I had all these tools laid out for me, but I'm the one who has to do it. I'm the one who has to be like, I need to go up prosthetics, I need to go and do circuit training, I need to go to the gym. Nobody's going to do it for me. So I think when I was going through my rehab initially, the reason I got into track was because it was very soul-focused, where I was like, I have to do this. No one's going to help me, I'm going to do this. Like Like I did with the other things of rehabilitation i was like i have to go and do this nobody's going to do it for me and i think i reached a point mentally where i'd, I'd broken the barrier of 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 that where I'd, I'd suddenly i was confident in my new body i was confident walking in prosthetics i was confident uh, in my abilities and everything that that's when i kind of went right now i need to find that that community in that team sport but i think the original the the, the early part of the journey was just me being so like fucking stubborn and and having my head down and charging forward that I didn't even think of that. I just thought about just doing it, doing what was in front of me and, and I had to do it and nobody else was going to do it. And then that's when I, I came out the other side of that. I was like, right now I'm going to get to a team sport and get that, that community and, and, and get those other people around me. What, uh, what's, I mean, uh, you played rugby growing up. Did you play any other yeah, sports? Yeah. Um, no, just like I did cross country for my school, but it was mostly just rugby. Like I'm in the North of England where, Rugby league is, is huge up here. I was I was awful at football or soccer. I was, I was absolutely awful at it. So it was just rugby league was the only sport that I played. Uh, and like my, played it at school, played it with my mates, and, and that was really the only school. And, and, and yeah, I think like when I used to do track or cross country, that's one of those, I've always had that uh, mentality. And I, I was talking about someone this recently. I remember when you have like school sports days, the furthest you run was like 800 meters. And I was always the kid who was like, I'll run the 800 meters because it was the hardest race. I was like, I'll do that. Nobody else wants to do that. I'll do that. And most of the other kids just wanted to run the 100 meters and sit down in the sun and watch everyone else run. So I was always that kid who was like, what's the hardest race? 800? Yeah, I'll do that one. It's so still then, the hardest race. I, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Dude, I am uh, I'm such a fan of the Olympics. Um, I did. Uh, we, we DVR them. We watch them every night with the kids. And well, last night we were watching the, uh, no, what was it, two nights ago we watched the 10,000, the 5,000, 
1500 and then last night was uh like the women's 100 and then the men's 800 dude that 800 is such a suicide race oh like, yeah like those dudes i mean and the crazy part is they ran like uh, like the i think the dude run like uh it was like a 148 you know one you know i mean it's 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 insane. It's that race where you've got to really want it. You've got to, you've got to want it because it's, it's horrendous. You've got to really want to win that race. Like that's the kind of race it is to me. Yeah, and, the, and then that, yeah, dude, it's uh, yeah. Uh, and then the the, <laughs> the chick that won the ten thousand was such a savage. She literally came out on this blistering pace and like tried like slowing down, trying to get these girls to follow her. And then as soon as she got like four or five of them to kind of follow her, <laughs> she just turned on the afterburners and ran these girls into the ground. She was lapping people. Yeah. Like, uh, like there must be so much hate in that girl's heart. She's like, somebody called me fat 20 years ago and I'm going to fucking prove them wrong or something. Cause like this chick was an absolute, and then she gets done, not even breathing heavy. I mean, she like, ah, like I'd be she's dead for a it. fucking month. Well, she's got a peak in a month. So Fuck. just do enough to get there and then fucking ham. So when, she's just uh, got so good at regulating how she does it that she doesn't even when she crosses that line she's she's just gone at that level constantly that when she crosses the line she's like yeah I'm good I'm uh, good like it, it, next one it, yeah it's uh uh dude uh the the run sports to me are like are, are just absolutely blow my mind like there's like how fast like um the the twenty the twenty one year old girl who won the hundred meters like. It's not Shakira. It's like it's something similar to that. Oh, right on. I know exactly. Um, what you're Shakira. She's from Houston. She uh-huh. she had the uh, the bright yellow hair. She is so fast. She like kind of LSU student. Yeah, L, yeah, LSU national champion. She basically dogs like the first third. She comes out real slow. Everybody's beating her, and then she hits these afterburners, and she <laughs> ran. I, I think she ran sub eleven seconds. It was like a some crazy like ten eight. Oh yeah, she beat some of the men trials yeah. times. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, ten eight four. And she's 21. It, like, we had a 10, recently 10, we had a talk from like a, a, a GB Paralympian and, and called Tani Gray Thompson. She came in and spoke to the wheelchair team and she, she'd been to like three Paralympics, like worked constantly for years to, to be an elite athlete. And she was saying to us after, after three Paralympics, God knows how many races and everything, her whole career can be brought down to 19 minutes. 19 minutes of work and competition over thousands and thousands of hours of, of training and work and, and graft just for 19 minutes over three Paralympics. So you, the, the, those athletes do so much work for such a short period of time. And 100 meter sprinters, the amount of training they put into for like a 12 second race, it's just, it's mind blowing how hard they go for that, for that one moment of glory. Uh, it's uh, <clears throat> like even worse than that. Think about like the the gymnastics. We were also watching women's and men's gymnastics. Uh, like like normally those girls peak at like age like 14, 15, 16. And then Simone Biles is 24. Mm-hmm. Also and she Houston. is absolutely fucking smashing these people to the point where they were like, the only person in the world that can do this, there's one other man and then Simone Biles that can do this move. Or like this move was like named after her. Like it, it it's uh, it's inspiring to see the world's best athletes step on the stage and be the best in the world at that moment. Yeah. And I think that's what, like, um, at least for me, that's where I get, like, kind of wrapped up in this. Because I want to see the best in the world have their best performance and, like, fucking dominate. Like, uh, I was watching the dude. They, they showed clips of the guy throwing the shot put together one. Um, he set, set the record, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just had this <clears throat> fucking moment where everything peaked and he just threw it. Fucking best in the world. He knew. The best. And he knew. As soon as it left his hand, he started screaming. <laughs> 
So what? Uh, so this, uh, you guys are going, or you're in the Paralympics in Japan this year? No, no, no. So we, uh, the other version, the wheelchair rugby, where you use the round ball, that's in the Paralympics. We follow the international rugby league calendar. So we we follow. So like rugby, the rugby league calendar is domestic season. Then at the end of the year, where they have internationals, like an international period. So we were in sync with our governing body, which is International Rugby League. So we follow follow them through. So we have athletes who are in like wheelchair basketball teams who are going to go to, to Japan and compete. Then they'll come back and they'll r- slot back into um, like the, the the wheelchair rugby league calendar. Mm-hmm. So we follow like a different calendar. So we like our domestic season is we play all year. Then at the end of the year, we'll have a uh, we've got the World Cup this year. So for the first time in history the men, the women and the wheelchair competitions all held at the same time. So over six weeks, they'll have like the, the men's national teams. So England, Australia, the women's national teams and the wheelchair national teams all competing at the same time. And it's never been done before in any sport and it's all free to wear on BBC as well. So you'll be watching BBC and you'll be watching uh, Australia versus Canada. The next day you'll be watching the women's teams, New Zealand versus Australia. Where's it taking place? Is it in the UK? Uh, England, yeah, it's in England. Yeah, yeah. It's like 65 games over six weeks just spread all around the country, all oh, on, wow. televised on BBC as well. Oh, shit. That's badass. It's, it's, it's mental. So last weekend, this weekend, when we played, so on the Friday night, uh, uh, England women played England-Wales. Uh, England women played women women's Wales team. And then straight after that, England men's team played like a combined nations team. And then the next day, England wheelchair played Wales wheelchair. So in 24 hours, we had all three na- uh, national sides playing in the country and all televised live as well. So it could all be watched. And then it, it was like a bit of a teaser to what's coming at the end of the year. Is uh, um, You've obviously traveled all over the world to play. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty en- close. Enough. Yeah. yeah. How is traveling with all that gear? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, when, when when we were in Australia, we were traveling every three days. Uh, so we'd play, so we'd land, like acclimatize, train. Next day, we'd captain's run, play, fly. So then, and as as the kind of the, the the three weeks went on, the time we had in between games got less and less because we were catching up with like where we were flying to. And when we have ten players, so we have ten wheelchairs. 20 wheels, 20 spare wheels, uh, all the kit and equipment, first aid kit, spinal boards, all the medical equipment. And I remember once we were in Sydney and we looked out the window and they had three huge aircraft pallets of all our kit lined up waiting to go on the plane and then one pallet of just everyone else's luggage. So our our kit on the plane took up three quarters of the, the baggage allowance on the whole flight, just kit thrown in there. And you guys are flying and, commercial too, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then trying to get, and then as soon as you land and you get all the kit off, we were always missing something, whether it was a bag or a wheel or something wouldn't make it through. So we'd have to wait and that'd get sent to the hotel later on. But it was, we, we'd get, we'd empty all the kit in the airport when we landed to see what we were missing. So then we'd get all the wheelchairs off, make sure they hadn't been thrown in the back of some van and, and like bent or broken or the wheels were fine. So, before we even left the airport, we'd get all our kit and equipment out and inventory it, invent, yeah, inventory it to make sure it was okay. So we couldn't go back up to the airport and be like, you guys have just fucked half our, these chairs cost 5,000 pounds and you've just broke one in half. 
So we we check all the kit before we even left. So when um, when you guys go to the airport, um, do you put do you wear your pros, your prosthetics in the airport, or do you guys go wheelchairs? Uh, it varies. I, I'll I'll wear my prosthetics, but some of the guys will use the wheelchairs, and it all depends like what's come. But when we went to Australia, because we we landed in, I can't remember if we landed in Singapore or Abu Dhabi, so you'd flown like fifteen hours, and you get a three hour layover, then you fly another fifteen hours. That that was where the guys who had wheelchairs came out on top because the guys who had the prosthetics on for 15 hours were then trying to walk around a, a, a airport just knackered and absolutely shattered while the guys in wheelchairs were just zipping about all over the place like loving it and then we had to get back on the flight so then the guys in prosthetics were dragging themselves along to get on this plane when the guys in wheelchairs who would who, they'd got the easy one they'd got they'd pick the easy option so next time if i ever did it again i'll, I'll definitely take my, go in my wheelchair and ditch the prosthetics mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know when we used to travel, it was an absolute fucking, the amount of shit that they would bring. I mean, we had our own private plane. I mean, it was just crates of stuff. And I, I mean, as I'm sitting there thinking, like, it would have been so much easier to play basketball where you're like, well, here's a pair of shorts and a <laughs> pair of shoes. But, I mean, these guys have even more. I mean, not only do they have all their gear, but, I mean, just different apparatuses, spare chairs, parts. I mean, it must be, must be pretty amazing. And then how many, yeah, horror on, stories. How, how many guys are on your team? Ten. So you, you you have ten players in the squad, uh, and so yeah, once you get ten chairs in somewhere, that's a lot of real estate taken up, and the, and then the wheel the wheels and everything. So yeah, you get the ten players, all mixed disabilities as well. So it's not you've just you're not just got ten amputees. You've got a couple of amputees. You've got uh, spinal guys who can't feel anything from the chest down. You've got so the the needs of the athletes is so varied as well that you've got they they have to take that into consideration as well it's not just one size fits all everyone's different and unique and we have male and female athletes together Mm. so like a a team is totally open so you could have male and female players and we do so then straight away you've got that you've got the 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 gender split and the disability split in the teams so you've got the, the the team managers have to think about all those variables when we're traveling as well yeah so yeah it's uh i don't have to worry about that that's their job well, someone else can worry about that. James, we got games to look forward to. So where do people want to head to to follow you, to watch your training, and then be ready when you're going live on the BBC? Yeah, well, uh, the, the game we played at the weekend, that's, you probably get, guys will probably won't get it over there, but that was on BBC iPlayer, and that's like free to watch by anyone, and that's out there. You have to see if Harry can get you a copy and send it over to you. Yeah, they uh, don't let you, us. Uh, they don't let us get the BBC because then we would get some form of world news, and then we <laughs> might learn. And then here in the United States, we might learn about like the rest of the world, and then not just be focused on what the fuck the Kardashians are doing. Yeah, it's Steve true. Like, get you extreme, you a copy off and send you it over somewhere. Ah, uh, yeah, no, old Harry Heppenstall. No, it's uh, yeah, we'll we'll work some magic and try to figure it out. I mean, it's got to be on the internet. On it's got to be on the line in some on interesting the line. way. But yeah, on man, it was uh. Dude, uh, it was great to meet you, and uh, dude, I no, mean, thanks, like, like officially in person, but also, uh, you know, get the wheels spinning for what you know for some adaptations we can make to Grindstone. Um, but uh, dude, it's always killer when we get to meet people that do the training and then actually use it in a meaningful way, not just like, oh, I'm trying yeah, yeah. to get in shape for my vacation and you know not being out of shape. Uh, dad with three, which is by far is super rewarding for me, but it's always cool when we get like a practical application of the program especially in such a unique setting like you're using it, man, it's, uh, I, I, dude, thank you. No, no, thanks for writing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, definitely been a game changer for me. And come the World Cup at the end of the year, hopefully I'll uh, 
convince a lot of the other players to jump ship as well and, and get on it and start throwing med balls around. Well, let me know, man. I'm sure we could uh, help in any way and throw some adaptations out there. But, uh, yeah, that's badass. No, great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Cool. Take All care. right, James. We'll Thanks, talk bro. soon. Thank you. See you in a bit. Take it easy. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!